Welcome to Mocktails and Masterpieces with the Indianapolis Chamber Orchestra. Today's episode is sponsored by Anthony Team Realty. Today's episode of Mocktails and Masterpieces is a re-air of a special event the ICO presented in partnership with the Indianapolis Jewish Community Center and the Ann Katz Festival. It features Victoria Bond, a composer, and Joshua Thompson, the ICO's creative partner in residence. Enjoy. First of all, good evening everyone. How are we doing this evening? The room is full-ish, and you all seem excited. I, I always enjoy having an opportunity to do this. So first of all, I would like to say a special thank you to Executive Director of the Indianapolis Chamber Orchestra, Ms. Dana Stone. Uh, We've worked really hard this year uh, for this season and next season to really find other ways, including but beyond performance, in which to connect and communicate with communities. Uh, and so here we are, and super excited to have a world-renowned composer. But before we get started with the music and everything else, you have already a pretty storied history with the Indianapolis Chamber Orchestra. If you could explain to us what's your history and your connection with, with the organization. Indeed. Well, I was here in 2002 for a uh, piano concerto uh, that was commissioned through pianist Paul Barnes, Kirk Trevor was music director at that time, and uh, the orchestra commissioned me to write a concerto based on a solo piano work that I had written for Paul Barnes, which is based in turn on a, an Eastern Orthodox chant. Um, now, I'll just give you a tiny bit, I, you know, I'm probably going to run into overtime. You have time. This is all about <laughs> I'll give you a little background on that. Um, Paul and I were doing another concerto, um, and we were in uh, the Czech Republic, and as we were walking to the, um, to the re recording session, I said to Paul, well, what else do you do beside play the piano? And he said, well, I'm a chanter in a Greek Orthodox church. And I said, oh, well, that's interesting. Can you chant me one of, your, one of the chants that you chant? And he chanted, and I was enchanted because it reminded me so much of the Jewish chants that I had heard as a child. And I was just absolutely so enthralled that I said, I have to write a piece for you based on this chant. And I did that. And he loved it, and he played it, and he discussed this with Kirk Trevor and the orchestra, the Indianapolis Chamber Orchestra. Um, in turn commissioned me to write this piece. So that was 2002. And then I was here again in 2006 um, with a project that was in conjunction with the Children's Museum. And that was a project involving storytellers and three groups from within the chamber orchestra. One for winds, one for strings, and one for brass. And these were three stories. Um, one of them was uh, Hispanic, one was uh, one of Briar Rabbit's stories, and one of them was a Chinese story called The Long-Haired Girl. And we performed these a number of times in the Children's Museum, and I just had a wonderful time. I love the orchestra. And so when um, this new project came along, uh, well, you, you probably want to segue into that. You're doing fine. You may complete your... <laughs> well, I was here, what was it, two years ago, I believe it was, um, for a concert with the Cassatt String Quartet. I had written a quartet for them, and they performed it here at Butler University. And um, I have always loved the Children's Museum here. It's just an extraordinary place. 
And a friend of mine said, well, you need to visit this sapling tree that was taken from Anne Frank's, the tree that grew out in, in front of Anne Frank's um, room where she was in hiding during World War II. And um, the exhibit at the Children's Museum is absolutely astounding. And I saw that, I saw the tree, and I said, I have to write a piece about this. This is so amazing. So that started the conversation, and it continued with Dana and with Matthew. And um, the result is what your pieces of what you're going to hear uh, tonight, and hopefully you'll be there on the 20th of January for the, for the full-blown tree. I wanted to ask you, Dana, uh, kind of piggybacking on that. So there's this idea, she comes to the Children's Museum to see the tree. What was it about Victoria, the subject matter, where you all had this idea, like, let's commission something, we have something here, it's a story to tell. If you can briefly give us the process from, you know, an inception of an idea to, to, to here we are now to read some of the previews ahead of this concert in January. Sure, well, I think first, um, just touching on one of ICO's core mission components, which is to be a catalyst for new music for chamber orchestra. So that's piece number one, being part of the commissioning project process and making sure that we're contributing to the repertoire of music for our orchestra of our size. For those that don't know what a chamber orchestra is, a chamber orchestra is an orchestra of less than 40 musicians. So our core group is 32, but many times we have a few extra um, musicians depending on the music that we're performing that evening. Um, but we're not playing symphonic music. We're not playing the, the big music that you might be accustomed to. This is the original orchestra size of Mozart and Beethoven. Um, so there was a period of time, about 100 years really, there wasn't a lot of music being written for this size orchestra. Um, and even the, the music you hear on movies and films are not really chamber orchestra sounds. So um, we want to be a catalyst for this creation of music and keeping our art form front and center here in Indy. So when we had breakfast with Victoria and she kind of shared the story, I mean, immediately, I, I had goosebumps. I was not aware of the tree. Of course, I visited the exhibit um, in the Children's Museum, the permanent exhibit, but I was not aware of the tree's um, significance, the connection, the, the real life living connection um, to this, this amazing young woman. And, you know, knowing that all the pieces that go into that, I felt like this is a great piece for the orchestra. Matthew, our music director, was very excited also about finding a way to have this story really come front and center for our community. This is partially our story too. So I like that. We're going to dive a little bit more into the actual piece here in a little bit, but you compose and do so much. Uh, you know, we heard earlier, it's operas, it's full orchestral works, it's a lot of stuff. Chamber pieces, solo, solo music as well. I, I really love that the timing for this and this discussion is, is happening here, right? Uh, the world feels very chaotic. And what I like about this, and you were, you were pretty insistent, thankfully so, when we spoke a couple weeks ago, that today you really wanted us to center on the music and really center on the connections that we find with that. So my question to you is, you do so much, whether you're talking about this particular piece or other ones, how do you connect any given subject matter with your inspiration musically? I'm always fascinated by how people's brains work, because mine does not work this way. Uh, so if you can give us an insight into your process and where inspiration plays into that when it comes to really giving us a sonic illustration representation of the story that you're trying to tell. Well, I'm a 
tree hugger from the beginning. <laughs> I mean, from the time I was a child, I always loved trees. And um, Anne Frank's story has so many aspects to it. And most people have focused on the tragedy of Anne Frank. And I wanted to focus on the most positive aspect of the time where she was in hiding. And that was the tree. The tree, the chestnut tree that grew outside of her window was such a source for her of inspiration. It was, it represented nature, it represented freedom, she loved to look at it, and she looked at it in all the seasons. So that was my clue to how I was going to structure the piece. The piece is basically a portrait of the tree. And um, I wanted to start out with the acorn, with the very beginning of, I'm fascinated with plants. I am absolutely in awe of the plant world. I mean, our whole life on Earth depends on plants, and how do they do it? Um, here's this acorn that is just, you know, a tiny little thing, and it ends up being this enormous, beautiful tree. So the beginning is the struggle of the acorn trying to break out of its shell, sort of like a bird, I would imagine, breaking out of its shell. Um, you see these slow motion um, uh, videos, of, which I looked at, of a seed coming out of its shell and growing. And it, you know, it kind of struggles. So there's this little struggle, and we're going to do an excerpt of that um, later on, of this kind of pushing, pushing of the, of the seed um, out of its shell so that it can reach the light. And then um, there is the tree in springtime. And to me, that was, um, well, we just talked about it before. Um, Stevie Wonder has a piece called uh, Superstition. And it's got this really infectious rhythm that I absolutely love. And I thought, that's the tree in spring. So you'll hear a, a little bit of that also, thanks to Stevie Wonder. And um, then the tree in summer, which we're not going to do today, is a, a big, lush, uh, romantic outburst of this tree, just, I, you know, the, the leaves coming out, how, how it must feel to be a tree and to have your leaves just catching the sunlight and just feeling the expansion of the tree. And then there's a storm, which we are going to do an excerpt from, and um, that is the, the most turbulent uh, moment in the piece. And this tree actually was, uh, was dying. And the, the story behind the sapling is, and this is long after Anne Frank had unfortunately been exterminated at the camp, um, the tree started to die, and people had the good sense to say, let's take saplings from this tree so that the tree will have a life beyond this life that it no longer is going to have. And there are saplings planted throughout the world. There's one at the United Nations, there's one here in Indianapolis. All over the world, there are saplings from this chestnut tree. And I just think that is such an important um, indication of hope and renewal. So there are movements in between. There's the storm, the tree dies, um, the tree is born again in the sapling. And we're not going to do all of that. We're just going to do um, various excerpts from, from the piece. Hopefully you'll all be able to join us January 20th to, to hear the, the full piece.
So you're giving us a, a musical botany lesson this evening, at least this evening. <laughs> like, I, I always enjoy relishing opportunities. We can hear a piece of music and we often do, like it, really be infatuated with it, but having that, that insight to understanding what we are listening to, it's almost like program music and theme music. So you've done a wonderful job of putting that imagery in our head so we can hear it. And it is seasonal, it's cyclical, it's yes. rebirth, it's renewal. Exactly. And very apropos for the for the season, I guess, and the time that we are in. Just thinking about the events that are going on globally. Absolutely. You mentioned something earlier about how there were saplings all over the place, and you said there was one at the UN, correct? Mm -hmm. There's another piece that you have. I believe it's for solo violin and and uh, and nothing else. And nothing else, right? <laughs> uh, but this was commissioned uh, by the United Nations. That's right. So I, I love this. You work. I love that. And you're working with amazing, amazing <laughs> folks. <laughs> And, and very premier and prominent entities. How did that come about? And are there any through lines in some of these universal things that you're putting out in between yes. the Yes, well this was for, um, there is a, every year they do a Holocaust um, memorial concert in January. And this piece was commissioned for that, um, that performance, that moment. And um, there was a very beautiful, there is a very beautiful poem by Gerard Manley Hopkins that has been kind of a touchstone for me for many other pieces. And I go back to it time and time again because it reveals so many new things to me. And the poem is called Sorrows, Springs, well actually that's not the title of the poem. The poem is called Spring and Fall to a Young Child. But um, the name of my piece is Sorrows, Springs are the same because that is the point of the poem. Um, I'll just give you a couple of lines from it, not the whole thing. Margaret, are you grieving over Golden Grove unleaving? Leaves, like the things of man, you with your fresh thoughts care for, can you? Ah, as the heart grows older, it will come to such sights colder by and by, nor spare a sigh, the whirls of one would leave me alive, and yet you will weep and know why. Now, no matter child the name, sorrows, springs are the same. And I just, I was so moved by this poem, and it just spoke to me of the universality of grieving and how the Holocaust really pertains to everyone, so much so now. But I mean, unfortunately, this is a topic that is, evergreen is not really the word I would choose, but it's a topic that is pertinent in all, all throughout history and certainly today. And so that seemed like the appropriate um, gesture. I like that. So it's you're you're very much a preservationist and an archivist for these universal themes for for history and remembering, if not in text, then also through music as well. Do we get to hear that piece this evening? Yes, we do. I'll invite Alfred Abel up on stage to share that solo violin piece with you all this evening.
maybe in a little bit more depth, what we were hearing. Are there particular compositional stylings and techniques that you're using or and cultural hallmarks that you're bringing out? Because we, we discussed the universal theme of grief. Uh, but is there anything compositionally or culturally that you think is unique to you, unique to the culture itself that you've infused into that piece of music as we're hearing? Well, I'm a, you know, they're minimalists and maximalists, and I'm a developmentalist, if I'm going to put myself in a category which is not exactly unique. It's built upon composers who developed ideas. And I like to think that a motive learns from itself that it grows in the same way as a plant grows, that it, you know, it develops. And that the first note or a couple of notes of a piece really determines everything that is going to happen in the piece later on. So um, as far as my technique, my compositional skills, I would say, are built on the idea of development. I like that. Uh, because you do have that running motif at the very beginning, almost that wailing type of part as well. Um, like that. We're going to move to the, the piece of, of the hour, I suppose, and Frank's tree. Um, you, you spoke earlier about being here and seeing it, and so I'm just curious, uh, and actually, Dana, you kind of have your own little story with the Frank tree as well here at the Children's Museum. I think you went, what, earlier this spring to, uh, so to witness it yourself, yes? We did, yeah. Together, actually. Um, and we were there, I think, I looked back at our pictures, it was August, and the tree is actually sprouting its own chestnuts now, um, which is kind of a sign of that perpetual life that you mentioned, Victoria. And it, it's a perfect time. Um, I think Rabbi Sandy is here. Um, and, oh, there she is. Uh, would you be willing to come up now and talk about your book and the, and the tree's connection um, from your perspective? Uh, obviously, many people have been moved by this incredible piece of nature, our connection to it, and would love to hear from her um, about her book specifically. Well, thank you, and it's so wonderful to hear the music and to be here with all of you. I remember when we had many meetings about this creation, and it's so nice to see it having come to fruition. Well, I, you've heard really a lot about the tree, so I'll just say how I connected with it and uh, what motivated me to write a children's book called Anne Frank and the Remembering Tree. So I was invited to have dinner with the person from the Anne Frank House who had come to Indianapolis to meet with the Children's Museum and to plant the tree. And I sat at dinner and I was mesmerized, as you were, with this story. And I'm sitting there and I said, has anybody ever written a children's story about this? And they hadn't at the time. They have since. <laughs> and I said, I've got to write this story. Would, you know, will you share information with me? Can we talk about this? So I began to write a story and I couldn't figure out how to write it. And I finally came up with the idea of writing the story of Anne Frank from the perspective of the tree. So the tree is looking into the window of the attic, uh, on the secret annex, and telling Anne's story by looking inside, and also looking outside at what is going on. So it tells you some of the climate of, of, the, of Amsterdam at the time, and it tells you what she's thinking. Uh, at the end of the book, I'll just, just a second.
So here's how the book ends, and then, then I'll tell you what happened afterwards. I was just one tree, but now I am many. So there were many, many saplings planted, not just in the United States, but around the world. People planted my saplings in places around the world as reminders of what happened to Anne and Margot and what hatred can do. They planted them so that everywhere adults and children will recall the hope and promise of two young girls who loved a tree and the tree who remembered them. And then um, at the very back of this book, Well, first of all, there's a picture of the Children's Museum with the dinosaur and the tree uh, as it began to grow. I saw it when it was a tiny sapling, I, and then I saw it a few years ago, and now I know it's even bigger than that. And then there is a list of all the places in the United States where it has been planted. So I kind of hope that maybe parents and children would go visit these places, and when they did, they would come visit the tree. So many of the places uh, have to do with issues of the Holocaust, with racism, and with democracy and freedom. So the tree carries that message on in many, many ways. Uh, what, so in writing this book, you know, always when you write a book, you find something you didn't know. And I first handed this manuscript to the person who was head of the Anne Frank House in New York. Uh, there was a center here. And she said, well, you tell about Anne's diary. What about Margot's? I said, Margot had a diary? And she said, yes, uh, but they never found it. And that was very painful for me to hear. Because at least Anne's life continues in the story we tell about her. But Margot died, and her story died with her. And, and that's the greatest grief. So I decided to include that in this book, that uh, when Anne's father came back to the secret annex and they handed him Anne's diary, he said, where's Marcos? And they said, we can't find it. So there's at least a little bit of that memory. And the other interesting, one more interesting thing, and then you may go on. You know, I always, I try to dedicate my books often to my grandchildren, uh, but they said, you know, you've already, Bobby, uh, <laughs> I have quite a few books dedicated to us. So this one is very special. It is to my friends, Mike Bornstein, who was liberated from Auschwitz at five years old, and his wife, Judy. Together, they planted new saplings that blossomed into a family of four children and 11 grandchildren. So to me, that's what this story was all about. A little sapling, a five-year-old little boy, was liberated from Auschwitz. And he managed not only to survive, but to be a, a, um, a scientist, to marry, and to have many, many saplings that continue to grow. And so that, that's the hope in this story. And it was an honor to be able to write this story and to share it. And as, I, as Lev told me, you should know that I will sign these books if you'd be interested in one on the way out. And I also have a couple other books about trees. So if you're interested, I will be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you. I like how this discussion and, and your focus 
really juxtaposes almost two competing things simultaneously, right? Uh, this, this notion of universal thing of grief, but then you pair that with rebirth and renewal. I just think that's very, that's very powerful. I, I'm wondering, hearing about the book and the story and your own research on, on the tree and Anne Frank herself, what is it like for you to experience hearing your completed work now that you've kind of had this entire trajectory and evolution from concept, or I should say from development and further development, what is it like for you or for a composer to hear their completed work? Um, I would say in the, in the framework of, of this festival, but just in general, especially seeing as how the subject matter is so uh, necessary and poignant. Well, the piece is in my head, so I, I hear it every day. <laughs> um, uh, as a matter of fact, it doesn't leave me alone. Okay, it doesn't leave me alone. There's no off switch in the brain, so I have to listen to, I have something called Calm, which is an app on my phone that has, where somebody reads you stories in a very beautiful voice, because otherwise the notes just crowd in. I mean, the music is always there, so I'm, I'm hearing it all the time, and working on it all the time, and some of my best work gets done not when I'm at a piano or at a computer or at a table or at a desk, but walking. I find walking to be uh, very liberating for me as far as developing ideas. And so, um, you know, it, I carry it in, in my ear, in my head all the time. It, it's, it's with me. We're going to get to uh, some excerpts from, from Anne Frank Street. We, we've discussed a little bit, and you've, you've addressed it briefly, but before we hear it, I want to know if there's anything culturally, musically, or about nature that is in this piece that you really want this audience and other audiences to understand at a deeper level and how we can go and use that uh, in our daily lives, whether it be in our own microcosms in our homes or also how we position and, and work and move in the world. Well, what is so interesting about art and about music is that it gives each person an opportunity to form his and her own ideas of what this music is about. So rather than giving you any kind of program other than just the seasonal development of the tree, I would really like to find out from you maybe after you hear it, and of course you'll only be hearing little bits and pieces of it um, tonight, but um, what this conjures up. Is it imagery? Is it an emotion? I mean, there's so many different ways that people can uh, interpret. And sound, music, is very abstract. Yes, of course, music can be concrete as in, you know, cartoons falling down stairs or, you know, very specific things like that. But if you're talking about motivic development and a piece that is based on basically one or two themes, um, it's really open to your own interpretation. So I, rather than giving you anything specific to listen for, I would just say, listen.